Thank you, praise team. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, yeah, pull those out. Turn to Mark chapter 8. While you're turning this morning, just a uh, couple of updates. I, I was sitting here just praising the Lord for our praise team, the worship team that uh, we have been blessed with. Uh, Greg and his leadership, just thankful and praise God for for you. Uh, just an update on that search uh, for our for our part-time worship pastor position. Uh, it, it seems like it's feast or famine. Go go months at a time without hearing anything, and and then uh, Saturday met with a, a young lady that Catherine taught when she was in the eighth grade at Faith Christian, uh, who was uh, inquiring and interested in our. Uh, worship position. So uh, that was an encouraging conversation. I have another uh, meeting to meet a gentleman this coming Wednesday for lunch uh, about this position. So it, things are, are picking up. Things are feast, like I said, feast or famine in that uh, realm. So be pray, church, be praying uh, that God would lead. And, and let's just be honest. I'm not sure there's anyone in this room that is more ready for us to Find uh, the, the person, the stable person to fill our worship position than Greg. Huh? Did, I, did I just hear an amen back there? Uh, but uh, just know that we are continuing with that. We are continually looking, shaking the bushes. And, and so I, I have been real encouraged this past week with, with some of the contacts there. The other thing I want to uh, catch you up on is our three-mile radius team. Uh, you may, what's Three Mile Radius team? Well, I started meeting in January with a group of people from our church uh, about how do we reach and get the word of the Lord. If you'll remember in Acts chapter 19, it says, and this continued for two years, that the word of the Lord went all the way through Asia. Remember, I, I spoke about that here a while back. And, and uh, so the Lord just laid it on my heart, man. If, if the word of the Lord can spread through Asia in two years, why can't the Lord, word of the Lord spread through our three-mile radius in two years? And so I began meeting with this group of people. And, and for the past couple of months, we've been talking goals and strategies. And, and how do we actually put feet to it? Well, this Thursday, we meet again. Uh, and in this meeting, it is my hope and desire to begin putting actual action steps to these goals that we've set. And so uh, be in prayer for that team. If you have not put your dot on that three-mile circle map back there, I would love to know where your home is located inside our three-mile circle. Now, some of you live outside of it, and, and please do not write on the wall. Okay, Steve Vettito, do not put your mark where Parker is, it's not on there, but somehow indicate I live outside the circle. All right. Our Murphy Creek folks, it's just not on there. But uh, I would love for you to take a pen. There's a pen at the back corner of that table. And mark where your house is on that map. You'll, you'll understand why as our team begins to pour out or present their plan. We're in Mark chapter 8 today. We've come to the point in Mark's gospel where he has spent the first half of his gospel account, uh, and, and it has spanned about three years of his ministry. I mean, it's, it's spread out. This, I told you in the first week of this series, this is a, a gospel of movement. 
Jesus just seems to constantly be on the move. And then he went here, and then he went there, and then he went to this person's home, and then he went to this. Just a, it seems like movement all the time. And so this first half of Mark's gospel is, is spanning the vast majority of his ministry here on earth. But then we get to Mark chapter 8 and 9, and it slows down drastically. And it covers the final weeks of his life. So we went from years to the last half of his gospel account to covering weeks. And so things are going to slow down. We're going to get more detail um, on this servant savior that we've been studying about. I have to give you a heads up. I have to tell you before we get started that today's message is not an easy message. It's not a comfortable message. So whatever seat you're in, go ahead and get as comfortable as you can get. Because the word that, that comes out of this passage today, and we're familiar with it, you're, you're going to be very familiar with this, this passage. But it's not an easy passage for us in our Western form of Christianity. I just need to tell you that. Well, Joel, what are you talking about, our Western form of Christianity? Uh, well, I, what I mean is we kind of do... What's natural, we try to fit Jesus into this expectation of what we think Jesus needs to be like and what Jesus would ask of us. We, we spend a lot of time forming him into what we want him to look like and, and what we expect from him. We treat him like Santa Claus a lot rather than allowing him to make us into what he wants us to be. Does that make sense? Well, we turn the table, and we try to shape him into who we want him to be. Listen to how David Platt uh, addresses this. He says, we American Christians have a way of taking Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who, who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to shape him into what we think he ought to be. And today's text jumps right in the middle of that. As I thought and contemplated on this issue of American, the American form of Christianity, if you've ever been to a third world country, you understand immediately what I'm talking about. Those people who worship Jesus in places where they have nothing. It's the same Jesus. It's the same faith. It's the same salvation alone in Jesus Christ. But because they live in a way that they have to spend every single day and every single moment trusting God for everything. It is just a different form. God has placed me and he's placed you in this time and in this country, a time of unprecedented wealth. 
We as Americans have more than any other people in history. Unless you've been to one of those places where they have nothing, you, don't, you may not quite understand the strength of these statements. I first kind of grasped this in Beijing when Catherine and I uh, took a team to Beijing and <clears throat> the missionaries that were there told us that one day we're going to be going to the slums. We're going to be meeting with the children of underground church pastors. The, their lives, the pastor, the, these underground pastors' lives were in constant danger, so they sent their children to this compound where they lived uh, together, and on this particular day, we were going to go and visit these children. When I say slums, I, I cannot verbalize how little to nothing these kids had. They had each other. We were told that we were going to be walking through the muddy, uh, disgusting back alleys to get to this place. So check out what a few of us did on the team. There was a market right down from our hotel. If you've been to markets around the world, it's the same thing. They try to get you to come in and buy their junk. One of the particular markets sold shoes. So quite a few of us went to this one particular little storefront, and we all bought a pair of brand new shoes for $3 so we, could, we wouldn't have to mess up our shoes that we brought with us. So we go sporting these brand new shoes, shiny shoes, to the slums. And it's as if when we walked, turned the corner to walk down that street, it hit us. What in the world are you doing? Walking in here with brand new shoes. But my mindset was, it's just three bucks. It's just three bucks. See, this American, this Western, wealthy form of Christianity that you and I have, we need to be careful. We need to take a look at this text today, and it, and it, it should make you and I uncomfortable. This mindset that it's, it's just three bucks. And we form Jesus into this shape that we want him today to be. Today's passage, or today's message, will answer three questions. I wrote them out. There's no blanks to fill out. Except one. It's very personal to you, the one blank that there is. There's three questions we're going to answer today. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And what does he want me and you to do? So, there's a book on my shelf that I bought in my office by the author Watchman Nee. I bought this book because... My dad made the statement, it's one of the most influential books he's ever read in his Christian life. The title of the book is The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. And in this book, he uses Galatians 2.20, and he expounds that verse to describe what he suggests is the norm 
not the fanatic, not pastors, uh, not the crazy, radical Christians, the normal Christian life. If you don't remember what Galatians 2.20 says, here's what it says. Paul writes this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the norm. That's not, that's not greatness. It's the norm. Well, I would suggest today that Jesus presents the same picture for us in this passage in Mark chapter 8. It's the norm. And it is a passage where you and I can lay it down right here. We can lay this passage down and we can lay our lives right beside it and say, am I living up to the norm? The words of Christ himself, is that me? It gives you and I an opportunity to do some self-evaluation and maybe there's some areas in my life that I need to tighten up, that I need to come into, into line. Maybe I need to allow him to shape me into what he wants me to be rather than me trying to shape him into being what I want him to be. So, we are in Mark chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 27 of this chapter. We see Jesus on the move again. He had just healed, healed somebody, and starting in verse 27. And Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. I'm going to stop there for just a second. Interesting that this passage we're about to go through happens in Caesarea Philippi, a place known for pagan worship. The Greek god, small g, the Greek god Pan, that was his home turf. That was where his temple was. Uh, maybe you've seen pictures of a half-man, half-goat figure playing a flute. Uh, that was his hometown. That this, this is the city full of pagan worship where Jesus selects for, for one of his own to present his true identity. And Jesus went on, on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Hey, who, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, uh, one of the prophets. Hmm. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So the first question we want to look at and address today is, who is Jesus? Who is he? They're there in this pagan area, and he asks his crew, along with other people that were with him, hey, who are people saying that I am? And they give some responses. Their responses are actually honorable responses, aren't they? I mean, those are flattering things to say about someone. Elijah, I mean, Malachi 3 and 4 talks about the one who will come before the day of the Lord. These, these are a prophet. I mean, that's, not everybody gets that name thrown on them. 
That's what people were saying about him. You'll remember in Mark chapter 4, verse 41, uh, right after calming the storm, the disciples say this right here. Who, who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? People want to know who he is. I wonder in your workplace, who do people say that Jesus is? Now, some might say he's a hoax. Someone you know may say he's a, he's a prophet. Some might say he was a teacher. I wonder who your classmates would say, what they would say about Jesus, who he is. Folks, this is a question that is not only relevant, it's important. And it demands a response from me and from you today. Who is he? Who is he? Mark chapter 6, you can flip back a couple of pages, verses 14 through 16. Uh, King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why, he, why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah. Still others claimed he is a prophet like the one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. John chapter 7, verses 40 through 44. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and come from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Listen, people were giving their response to this question, who is Jesus? The question that, that really interested Jesus was, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? That is a question that every single one of us will answer before God. The Bible says that the day is coming when every knee will bow and identify him as Lord. So I left a blank on your outline. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, let's look at some responses. Because there's, like I said earlier, there's people that we know in our workplaces that they give answers. They have their ideas. But let's look at some answers that are appropriate. Because in verse 29... Peter gives the answer that is spot on. Jesus looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. The word Christ means anointed one. The one who is to come. Boy, he nailed it. Peter nailed it. Look, look at some other responses here. Even in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, he identifies Jesus, the, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God the Father, when he was baptized in chapter 1, verse 11, says, This is my beloved Son. Even the demons throughout Mark's gospel account, listen to what they say. In chapter 1, verse 24, the Holy One of God. Chapter 3, verse 11, another demon said, you are the Son of God. Chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus, Son of the Most High. 
At the end of Mark's gospel account, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he had just died, a Roman centurion looks up and he says these words, this man really was God's son. These people are spot on. The question today that Jesus is really interested in for me and for you, who do you say he is? What's your answer? That's an important question. It's an important question for every one of us to answer. So we keep moving in this text, and then we get to the second question. The second question is this. What did Jesus come to do? What did he come to do? The first half of Mark's gospel tells us who Jesus is. Now we turn the corner to look at what he came to do. I need you to climb into the disciples' shoes for a moment. That declaration that uh, Peter just made about Jesus was a strong one. Can, can we stop for just a moment? and I'll give you a peek into Joel's world. Jesus sitting there with his disciples. Sounds like from verse 27 that there were other people there as well. And the declaration that Jesus is about to make, Peter was okay with Jesus being the Messiah, the Christ. He was good with that. He made the declaration. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. And he was good with that. But then we get these next verses, and as we'll see, Peter was not good with it. Let's look, starting in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must, circle that word, highlight that word, it's an important word, he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, verse 32, and he said this plainly. Listen, church, check this out. He didn't give this to him in a parable. He didn't give them in some kind of saying that they had to go, what? Hey, hey guys, listen. This is what the Son of Man must do. I got to be rejected by the church and be killed and then be resurrected from the dead. See, Peter was quick to give Jesus the crown, man. He was quick to give him the crown, but he was not quick. In fact, he was not going to let the cross happen. Yes to the crown, no to the cross. Look at what Peter said. But, and he, Jesus said in verse 32, and he said this to him plainly. He didn't, he didn't beat around the bush. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What, what did that look like? Did Peter kind of stand up? I mean, Jesus was teaching and, and saying these things. And did Peter stand up and go, hey, Jesus, hey, <laughs> come here. God, come here just a second. I got to tell you something. Did Peter put his arm around Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, that ain't going to happen. They're not going to do that to you. We ain't going to let that happen. And you need to notice some of the sternest words. Is that a word? Sternest? You understand what I'm saying? Some of the st sternest words that Jesus 
uses. He looked at Peter right in the face and said, get behind me, you silly fellow. Uh, Huh? Get behind me, Satan. Folks, we need to, hey, this week, when you pick a passage, and I'm going to encourage you to chew on this passage this week, you chew on that little statement. Why did he use such strong words? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. We can take that one little statement and contemplate if that is a description of me or you. Do I think on things of God, things above, or things of man? Where have I set my mind? Where have you set your mind? Boy, that sure sounds like Matthew 6, doesn't it? Where Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And man, for me and you to just sit down and, and just be honest with ourselves, be honest with God, God, is my mind trained on things down here or things above? Where's my mind? God of heaven, help me discern where I'm at. We okay, church? It's not an easy passage. It's not a fun passage to teach. Don't get mad at me. I'm responsible to teach the whole counsel of this book. For you're not setting your mind on things above. You might write this down. This is a, a thought that came to me this week. We have to grasp the fact that the ways of Jesus are not always easy. The ways that he leads is not always easy. But I can tell you this, they're always right, and they're always perfect. It's not always easy. And boy, boy, doesn't that rub against kind of our Western form of Christianity that I was talking about earlier? We want the easy way. God wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't ask me to do that, would he? That would be painful. Today, Ben, check this out, man. God's ways are not always easy. Today's not an easy day for me. Today's not an easy day for you. It's not an easy day for our church. But it's right. It's right. And there's just going to be things that, that along our path that God says, I want you to go this way. I, I know you, were, you wasn't part of your plan because you would have kept going this way, but I want you to go this way. That's not always easy. And church, that's something we need to grab a hold of because we do not want to sit in the position when God leads and says, I want you to go this way, that we say, hey, that ain't going to happen. I'm good to give you the crown, but I'm not good to give you the direction of my life. Folks, we need to be careful, man. We need to be careful for us to sit in that posture. Does that make sense? Hmm. Jesus' ways are not always easy, but they are always right. What did Jesus come to do? He came to pay the price for our sins on the cross. Peter wanted to give him the crown. 
but he wasn't going to tolerate the cross. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, boy, you better sit down and shut your mouth. Because where would you and I be without the cross? Where would Peter be without the cross? Where would the disciples be without the cross? Without the shedding of blood, Scripture says there is no forgiveness of sin. Aren't you thankful for the cross? Me too. So what is your response? This, this passage, it demands a response. Who do you say he is? And what did he come to do? He came to be rejected, despised, spit on, suffer, and die, and to shed his blood for the sins of all people. So what does he want us to do? What's our response? The third question, what does he want us to do? Let's look at verses 34 through 38. <clears throat> and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, said to them, if anyone, circle the word anyone, it doesn't say the elite, it doesn't say the, the all-stars, it doesn't say uh, pastors, clergy, whatever term you want, it says anyone. This is where I'm suggesting that this is another picture of the normal Christian life. Galatians 2.20, it's a a great title for that verse, the normal Christian. I think this is another passage. I mean, this is the application section of this passage for the normal Christian. This is our opportunity to take this text, lay it down, and lay our lives right beside it and go. Let's look. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What's the answer to that question? Nothing. Profits them nothing. Verse 37, for, for what can a man give in return for his soul? What's the answer to that? Nothing. Nothing. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and, sin, adulterous and sinful generation, of him will, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The normal Christian life. First thing he says is for us to deny ourselves. So maybe you write this down. What does he want from me? He wants me to put this self centered part of me to death. To put the self centered part of me to death. It's the normal Christian life. He's not laying out the blueprint for the all-stars. He's laying out the blueprint for me and you. Treasure and value Jesus more than you treasure and value yourself. Put the self-centered part of me to death. Put to death the I idol in your life. He goes on and he says, take up your cross. Literally, he was saying to them, die. 
Luke 9, 23. It's, a, it's the parallel passage in, in Luke's gospel. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily. Die to this self-centered part of my life. And then he says, follow me. Where I lead, you go. If I say turn here, turn here. If I say stop, stop. I say go, go. Follow me. Follow me. Second takeaway that I want us to get out of this text is that my commitment to a safe life must die. I don't know how many of you have a ring doorbell, anybody, or, or a version of it. I, I get notifications on my phone when a neighbor or someone has something shady going on out in their driveway. We are consumed with safety, and, and we should be. Huh? Yeah? Or should we? Now we should be. Or should we? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross. Cross was an instrument of death. They would have understood that to be the electric chair. And follow me. Well, hold on. Safety isn't. You're right. It's important. But when it comes to, listen, church, I'm not saying we shouldn't have our cameras or whatever. Here's the arena that I'm, I believe Scripture's talking about. I believe that churches in this Western form of Christianity have grown to a place where we have found it acceptable to insulate ourselves with other Christians. And the idea of going out and telling people about Jesus, taking the risk of, of just saying it, it's scary. It could be dangerous. Jesus said, whoever would, is willing to lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. I'm just afraid that our Western form of Christianity has taken that phrase and set it aside. It is my prayer that Community of Grace not be that church. That we be risky people, willing to go out in our schools, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, and tell people about Jesus. Tell them. I, I think my life is more insulated than anyone else in this room from out there. I get to be around y'all all the time. I mean, I have to be really intentional to be around people that, that aren't church folks. So I need to go to Quincy Reservoir more often. <laughs> and you understand what I'm saying? Church, let's, let's, let's put this idea of I have to be in this safe cocoon as a Christian idea. Jesus says, man, deny yourself. Put this self-centered part away. Put this idea of just being safe. Man, go and be da live dangerously for my sake. Take the risk to tell people. They may reject you. It, those seeds that you throw out may fall on hard soil. 
I get it. But I want you throwing seeds. Throwing seeds. And the last thing that I would have you see in this text, and we'll conclude, is that my pursuit of the world and its pleasures must die. It's not a comfortable passage to teach. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Yeah, but doesn't God want me to have nice stuff? I'm going to let you answer that question. I'm going to let you wrestle with God. He put us in this culture, in this day, in this country for a reason. Is the reason that he put you and I in this place and in this day so that you and I could have more stuff. Is that why? Or did he put us here in this day, in this culture, in this ridiculous housing market of Denver, Colorado, so that we could bless others with what he's blessed us with? (coughs) I believe the latter to be the answer. My question for us today is the question that I've been asking throughout this series. You're going to make something out of this text today. You're going to take it and you're going to do something with it. You might chew on it tonight while you're laying in bed. You may go back and read the passage over and over, and I hope you will. I hope you'll chew, chew, chew on this passage. But that's not the important question. The important question is, what will this passage make of you? What is the mark that this passage will leave on you? Who is Jesus? What did he come to do, and what does he want from me and you? Important questions, and they deserve an answer from me and you. If today you find yourself here and you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you about that. I'm going to invite our praise team to go ahead and make your way up. And when we stand and sing in just a moment, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, And today you would say, I want to do that. In the one and only Son of God, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to trust him today. If that's you, when we stand in just a moment and sing, I want to meet you right here. I'll be right here by the front row. Just walk, just sneak up on me. Don't scare me, but sneak up on me. I want to talk to you about it. Because, man, if that's what God's leading you to do, it's scary, but it's right. Is today the day you trust in Jesus? Christian, let me ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher in your life? Or is he Lord of your life? Are there areas of your life that you need to submit to him? You need to surrender to him and say, I've been holding this back, but here, you've got it. Do with it as you please. Whatever God lays on your heart today, please respond to it. Please respond to it. I'm going to give God the last few moments just for you to be alone with him and give him a chance to have the last word in your heart. So right there where you are, just take a moment, you and God.